You're listening to Rally DNA. Five, four, three, two, one, four, two hundred. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rally DNA. I'm Killian Cronin, and joining me as ever is the Gravel Crew's Jamie Arkell. Our guest this week, uh, the first co-driver we have on the podcast, is Mr. Alex Gelsomino, all the way from the States. So thanks for giving us the time, Alex. Thanks for coming on. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for having me, and hello to all your uh, listeners. So, Alex, um, y- y- you're best known, of course, as uh, a co-driver to a certain Kenneth Block, but uh, you're a dyed-in-the-wool rally fan like the pair of us. W- would you mind telling us a little bit about your formative experiences and how you came to be interested in the sport? Well, it's actually a, a pretty simple story because I was born and raised and come from a, a country where rallying is, is a big sport, especially it's not just Italy, but southern Italy, where I'm from, Sicily, is the is the capital you know of some of the the best you know you know events in the world especially the targa florio which was a an event that uh, growing up in in the in the 80s was uh, uh, a round of the world sports car championship and uh, um and then it became a rally so yeah, I, I remember growing up as a kid and going with my best bus scooters and, and with my mates, you know, to watch events like hill climbs and rallies. And uh, uh, and that's how the passion started. Then to get involved in, as a competitor was actually pretty easy because in Italy, like in, especially in countries that are have a strong uh, uh, car um, uh, and rallying and racing background, you know, the, you have teams that are actually... Uh, running programs in my case was a, a local team that had a co-driver school and I went that to that for a, for a few days learned learned how to be a co-driver and the purpose why they have those schools is because they have so many members and so many new drivers that are always looking for a, for co-drivers uh, and that's how I started after a couple of weeks after I did the co-driver school I was introduced to a driver I did my first rally I was only like 19 years old and and the rest is history again it's a it's a place in the world where there is a lot of events there is a lot of rallies so it was easy to uh progress you know do event after event and then i eventually moved to the us and started all over again here it's great that there's such programs available like that um you know because i remember when i decided i wanted to do some core driving and it was kind of like how do I even begin to to find out about this? So, you know, I, I joined the, the motor club and then like the first, my first event, you know, I was just basically asking people in the service park how to fill out time cards. Um, you know, so it's great to see that there's there's such an easy route in, in, in places to get people started because it's not always the easiest to, to, you know, actually get involved in motorsport for a lot of people. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is really Cool. And look, we all know our sport is a fairly complicated sport. It is not like you, you just go to a circuit, you unload your motorbike or your, you know, or your truck car and you start doing laps. You know, there is so much involved. So it is complicated. Uh, and, and that's something also that we sort of started integrating and doing here in the U.S., which is a, a fairly new country when it comes to our sport. You know, we do a, you know, we do a similar thing that I did when I was a teenager, you know, we have co-driver schools and after, after the, the students that do that, you know, we try to introduce them to drivers that are looking for, 
long or short terms, you know, co-drivers. And, and there is right now a lot of, lot of new competitors in the US and North America because of that. So it's a system that works. Uh, you just need to have it going. And, uh, and when you get it going, then it attracts even more competitors and more new people into the sport because, you know, the mates of the people that we train now are interested, you know, the boyfriends, the girlfriends and everything. So it becomes a bit of a snowball. At the risk of jumping ahead a little bit too far, do, do you feel the momentum building in terms of uh, the appreciation and understanding of rallying as a sport on, on that side of the Atlantic? Because uh, the last 20 years have seen such massive changes in that respect. You know, it seems to have gone from strength to strength and having very little profile to, well, certainly a much larger one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely do. Right now, we're seeing we're seeing record entries at our, our events. You know, the event next year, uh, the, the event next week has got almost a uh, uh, hundred entries, and I believe it's got a wait list at this point. So uh, it is strong, and there is reasons why it is strong. I think uh, one of the reasons, look, the problem here in North America, as you guys know, was always to introduce the sport and make the American. Americans understand what rallying is all about. We are we from Europe, we understand it because like we said a moment, a moment ago, we were introduced from a young age. So it's been indoctrinated in our, in our minds, right? But here it's different. And the fact that uh, social media and internet have become so strong in the last, I would say 10 years and keep becoming stronger and stronger. And the content is available to the American public or the American enthusiasts just in the palm of their hand from their smartphone, that has been the biggest contribution in my, my opinion. You know, like you see something that is cool, like rallying, and then a search takes you to, uh, you know, endless, uh, you know, videos and opportunities to understand what this sport is all about. That, in my opinion, has been the reason why the sport is becoming popular. You have brand new competitors coming to the sport. You have a lot of new cars. I mean, we go to events right now in North America. You look around. I don't know, three quarters of the people, you know, they're all new competitors. I think you're completely right in as much as taking it for given, uh, for granted in terms of the, the innate understanding of rallying that, that certainly a lot of petrol head Europeans have. And, and it's also easy for, for people like ourselves who are quite sort of, who are indoctrinated at an early age to, to take it for, for granted about some of its more complex elements. You know, you said earlier compared to racing, you know, it, circuit racing is simple whereas the variables involved in rallying are just so manifold that you know getting a grasp of it can can take a while especially for a culture not you know as steeped in it as we are yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent, and it's a positive thing you know because it, it's a sport we love we, we like to see a healthy but also we like it to see uh growing in countries like U.S., Australia, New Zealand, you know, the Caribbeans, this side of the world, which a sport is, doesn't have really a, a history like it does in Ireland, Europe, France, you know, Italy, and, and, and the rest of, you know, European countries where the sport was born. Do you think part of the challenge in the States in trying to grow the sport is just the sheer size of the country makes a lot of events inaccessible to people? You know, because in Europe, we've so many regional championships, it's no matter where you live in the country, it's really easy to get to a rally if you're a fan, you know, be it living in the UK, Ireland, France, Italy, wherever, there's going to be some rallying on close by at some point. The States is just vast. 
So do you think that's part of the challenge in making it, making it grow and making it more accessible? Yeah, there will always be a big challenge in a country like the US and the uh, there is really no an answer how to fix. It's a big country, you know, um, the distances are massive. Uh, you could say the same thing of, about Australia and, and it's a country because my wife is Australian. I spend a lot of time there. I compete there and everything. But Australia has done a good job creating a, a better regional scene. So if you are a competitor that are on a budget or have time restrictions and can't take, so many days to do a national events which will go from New South Wales to Victoria to the other side of Australia like uh, you know Perth in Western Australia then you can do very well organized regional and state series in New South Wales in Queensland and Victoria so they've done a really good job in Australia which has a size comparable to the US here in the US we struggle with that. We're missing the regional scene uh, for some reason that I'm not entirely sure about it. And even the, the smaller competitors are focusing more on, on national events, which that means longer distances. I mean, even a big team like, you know, Hoonigan Racing or, you know, when we work with Subaru USA, when you look at the the travel costs are some of the most, the biggest expenses of our team, you know, traveling from the East coast to the West coast, three, four days of, uh, of, of towing, you know, with, with, you know, now the costs of, uh, of gas and diesel, it's even more. So that is a bit of a problem here. And uh, I wish there was a bigger scene as far as regional, there are some regions here that, you know, like the Pacific Northwest and, and that's about it, I guess, you know, where where you have competitors that stick to their area, but it could be better. And uh, I guess it's part of the game of being a, a brand new country when it, when it comes to a sport like ours. I suppose the sheer size of the USA could cut both ways in terms of, yes, it's a, an issue in terms of growing the sport's initial popularity. But if and when it does click, then the sheer variety of of surfaces and, and and environments that america offers must be you know i mean there's huge potential there for for unique rallies and, and, and things like that absolutely i think to me that is the highlight of the american championship the fact that you have at the moment nine nine national rounds and all nine of them are all this different from uh, from each other you know what i mean you got fast you got technical you got different surfaces we have competitors that come from overseas and compete in our national series. And, and, and one of the most recent one I spoke to is Tom Williams that comes from England. And he said to me, it's amazing how each single event is so different. It makes it really enjoyable. Uh, so that, that is the highlight of our series, in my opinion. And, uh, uh, and the fact that the environments are different, the stages are different. Yeah, so it's just uh, very, very cool. Um, to, to take a little step back, maybe in time again, um, when you did get involved in co-driving, what was the decision to, to go down that particular route? What attracted you to that discipline and, and part of the, that side of the car, as it were? Yeah, well, it's a great question. The, the decision was strictly budget. You know, you have this 19-year-old that uh, wants to get involved in, in this sport. And I said to myself, oh, I'm going to do two, three events uh, as a as a co-driver and then I'll 
I'll ask my dad if we can buy a rally car. Of course, that never happened. You know, I did ask, but it never happened that he bought a rally <laughs> car for me. So I stuck to that because it, the sport is just so cool. I wanted to be involved. And, and, and back then I was so young and I, I think I was progressing quite well. And uh, there was no internet, there was no email back then or no text messages. So my parents, we were starting, we were getting phone calls at home of drivers that were interested in having me co-drive. So I said to myself, after only five or six events, I said, well, this, this can lead me, lead me to be part of this sport in a consistent level and grow within the sport. Those were the early 90s. So we Italians, we had the example of the, the Lancia team, which was dominating and winning world championships. So every 19-year-old kid, just like me, had the dream. We, we were following what was happening in the world championship and with, with a big effort, both European, national and world championship with the Lancia team and the Abarth team. So we, we had, a, we had a, no, I don't want to say a goal to follow, but the example was there that we as Italians could do well in our sport and we were all excited about it. Then, you know, the team folded after a few years, but I was already well established into the sport. And uh, and then, you know, I moved to the U.S. and that's a that's a different story. But it was great to have that jump start in uh, in Italy uh, and paid off a lot when I first when I then moved to the U.S. and started competing here. On the subject of moving to the U.S., I mean, there must have been a point where presumably got off the plane you know sorted your life out and then thought right how do I continue doing this thing that, that's that's an integral part of my life and a, a key hobby in a in a world in, in a country that has no well very little infrastructure yeah. how on earth did you even begin to go about continuing <laughs> I actually I had to look for it I moved from the uh, from Italy to the U.S. I moved to Florida because uh, work I, I found work there I was working for um, a restaurant there on the Walt Disney area. So it was good work. It was, you know, a good area where to live. But then after only a year, a year and a half, I was living there. I was like, I do miss the sport that, you know, I was doing in Italy and I want to do more. I need to find more. And look, it goes back to when I was even younger. I remember in Italy getting like, there was a newsstand. They used to get American magazines, right? And I used to get American automotive publications like Motor Trend and uh, Car and Driver and things like that. I, I'm just a kid, you know, I'm 10, 12 years old. And I'm reading about someone like John Buffum and, and Rod Midland. And those two guys are battling for the American championship in factory cars, you know, factory Mazda, factory Audi. John is with a group, the Audi, ex Michel Mouton. So I'm reading this magazine, I'm looking at these pictures and they look beautiful. They're beautiful stages and everything. So I knew there was a scene, right? So here I am now moved to the US, you know, I'm, I'm learning the language, I'm getting myself established in my new country. And, um, and then I was like, okay, I need to find out more about rallying. And, I, and at that point, there was a good, strong state championship in California. It was the California Rally Series. Uh, many events, you know, every season and uh, many competitors was really strong. We're talking about mm, about 25 years ago. So I said, I said to my wife back then, oh, yeah, we need to we need to move to California. I think there is better opportunities there. I didn't really say the reason. <laughs> and uh, so I moved to California, you know, established myself there, you know, in Los Angeles and all that and then I start seeking you know and okay there is the next event of the California championship in a few weeks you know just north of Los Angeles I go and investigate there and I see there is a strong field okay I'm gonna get myself 
you know, my name out there and I want to compete there. And the following round after that was a, a round in, in Arizona, Prescott, Arizona, beautiful event. And I competed there and it was my first round in America. Look, I can't, I can't memory doesn't serve me well, but I think it might've been somewhere around 2000 or two, yeah, 1999 or 2000 when I did that event. Yeah. But it was a, yeah, to answer your question, there was a plan in, in place that I, there was always, you know, for me to, I got to get back in a rally car because I'd done it three, four years in Italy. Now I miss it. I got to <laughs> find it here, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard to stop rallying for sure. It is. It's a very good point. It's so addictive. I rarely meet a person or a driver that, comes to our sport and then is gone completely. They quits, you know, maybe they take some time off, they build a family, build a business, this and that. But eventually they all come back. When you think, at least here in the US, I, I very rarely think of a driver, oh, that guy's gone. I haven't, I haven't heard from him in years. They eventually come back. It's such an addictive sport, isn't it? Absolutely. And you started rallying in, in 99 in America then with the with uh, Steve Westwood. Um, take us back. So you're, you're in a golf at the time, but what, what, what the machinery, I think, in the American Championships is what really has evolved a lot over the last few years. So at that time, what, what is the classes? What are the competitive classes in the American Championship then? What's, what's at the top of the field at that point? And then right the way down, what are the competitive cars then? Well, the first thing that I notice is that they are competing here with very loose regulations, which in one way is a really good thing. There is a lot of people that are building their cars in their garage and they're, they're building their own cars, which where I came from Italy, that was quite different because in Italy, back when I was competing there, the one make series were really the, the, the big thing, you know, the Peugeot, Renault, you know, and Fiat had, you know, you would buy the car at the dealership and uh, you would have the opportunity to buy a, a, a rally kit, which would include the cage, the seats, you know, uh, and, and everything that came to it. And you would take it to a, a professional shop and they would build it for you and they would assist you during the event. You know, it was more like a customer shop. But here, and the first thing I notice is uh, that the people are building their cars in their own sheds and they're, you know, putting in their own trailer, you know, with their pickup trucks, towing it to the events. So, I noticed that at the lower class and in the top class, you still have now John Buffum, which is running the Hyundai team and uh, he's winning, you know, his drivers are winning events after event is the, the only factory team. So the, the first impression was rally feels easier, easier to get into here. You know, there is a lot of people that are doing on a very low budget, use tires, um, you know, again, car built in their own shed. That's something I wasn't used to. Uh, so they gave me even more of a push of saying to myself, you know, this is great because I can e do, do it even easier. But then they created another problem, uh, which was taking the time off. And there is a, a different story for that, which I'll tell you in a minute, I guess. <laughs> Would you say that the, the, the sort of level of, of professionalism in the American rally scene expanded in, in the noughties as your career in America got into full swing? 
Yeah, I, it's yeah, good question. I, I witnessed that. As soon as I got here, it wasn't quite there. But for some reason, I, I got here at the right place at the right time. And after a couple of years, you start seeing this progression of, and obviously we are in the late 90s, early 2000s. The, the economy is strong. The, the stock market is strong. People that own businesses are doing well. Uh, there is a, a big uh, influence of Irish competitors from the Northeast. You know, they're based in New York, Boston and everything. Those guys are not messing around. They understand the sport. They're building proper cars. They're building, you know, good Evos, good, you know, Subarus and things like that. And then you have the involvement of Subaru uh, of America, which then creates the involvement of uh, Mitsubishi. Uh, the the product that they're selling, you know, Evos, you know, STIs is hot, is brand new in the U.S. market. It needs to be marketed somewhere. The only way you can market this product is through rallying. So yes, two years after I started competing, you start seeing this massive change. You start seeing the, the introduction of professional team and professional drivers, and uh, uh, and that's when I find myself uh, with a little bit more of a experience compared to to the average. Uh, American co-driver because I come from from Europe, which has you know I I you know my I cut my teeth in the one make series in America in Italy, which are tough. You know you you're finishing 15, 20 kilometer stages, you know, separated by a handful of seconds. So I already understand the sport, and uh, when it comes to jump into the next level of cars, into the open class cars, and to into the faster cars and the better rides, my name is the one that. Uh, Lucky for me, gets gets noticed the first. So yeah, it was good to be there at the at the right time. And for those, I suppose there are probably people listening who aren't maybe don't have quite the best understanding of the classes in America. So what separates the open class, say, from a guy in a in a Group N Mitsubishi? What what's the differences there? What is the open class? Yeah, well, the open class is basically that you you don't really have restrictions. Uh, uh, they used to actually when I started. There used to be a, a, a restrictor for the turbo was forty millimeter. Those cars were extremely powerful and extremely dangerous. I would say because you were racing with four hundred and fifty, five hundred horsepower Evos and Subarus, and uh, and back then um, American drivers weren't used to writing their own notes. There were still some limitations with the recce, so it was a recipe for disaster. And we had some big accidents, and uh, and eventually the sanctioning body changed the the restrictor size to a smaller size. But to answer your question, uh, an open class is a car that basically has got very little limitation aside from uh, safety regulations. You know, they are um, dictated by engine displacement, of course, you know, uh, uh, and nowadays because we're, we're racing cars, the top four or five are racing cars that uh, have substantial aerodynamic devices, you know, and, and things like that, that, there is some sort of limitations for that. But other than that, Especially when I started here, open class meant prototypes. That's the only way I can describe it. You know, there was uh, no weight limits. You know, and there was uh, uh, there was whatever you can bring and your budget allows you race it. And it was uh, it was interesting. That sounds wild, like <laughs> it was rally, wild, yeah. wild west style stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, forty millimeter restrictors. That's something else. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, why even bother yeah <laughs> exactly 
What would you find are the other differences that separates the American Championships from those in Europe? If I, as a European competitor, was to turn up to an event in the States tomorrow, what, what are the things that would stand out to me in terms of the organization, the recce, or anything else? When we talk about today, the differences are minimal, actually. Uh, when we're talking about 20 years ago, the way the sport was evolving here was we were going from uh, blind events, just like the RAC used to be in the World Championship. We're going from that to uh, organizer-provided notes, and then became organizer-provided notes with uh, one pass of recce, and then it became two passes of recce. And now I guess we go to the other extreme because we have open recce. So we have a day allowed for a reconnaissance, let's say next week, and I already prepared my recce schedule, and I know that uh, from 7 in the morning to 8.30 p.m. when recce closes, I'll be able to squeeze three passes on most of the stages. So you're taking advantage of that, which in some ways makes you actually a little safer uh, because, you know, you have one extra opportunity to, to check your notes and it's good for the newer competitors. So that was the evolution as far as the recce goes. As far as um, differences between um, U.S. and European events, you, you get to an event right now in the U.S., you'll have the same procedures. You know, you'll have, the, you'll have regroups, you know, you'll have uh, ceremonial starts and everything. Uh, so you barely see a difference. Okay, we're still talking about a country where the sport isn't, and it's probably never going to be as big as Ireland, France, Italy, Spain, you know, this, this country has invented our sport. But still, you get to a hairpin or you get to a junction here in North America right now, there is 1,500 spectators. That's pretty cool, you know, to see in a country that doesn't have the history that those countries just mentioned that. So, yeah, you start an event in North America. You come from Europe and come and do an event here in North America. You start the event, you won't see many differences at this point, yeah. I guess that's kind of a shame in a way because the the it, it's the theme of of increase ever increasing homogenization uh, of rallying. You know, you've seen it for the last thirty years on every level from the WRC downwards, and I guess it's kind of a, a, you know a necessary thing because to package the sport and for it to continue succeeding, you need that. But the downside is some of the sort of more unique elements from different corners of the world have been watered down to a degree. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, at the same time, the European system of running the rallies is the safest, is the best. So it's something that is well is a well-oiled machine. It was going to happen at some point, the U.S. organizer, the U.S. sanctioning bodies would have got to absorb as much procedures as they could from that side of the world. So, so for, for me, it's better because, you know, safety is our, always our main concern. You know, we're running, you know, trackers, um, on the rally car, trackers on the recce and everything were continuously monitored. To me, that's a, a good direction to do it because let me tell you, it's a big country and some areas where we compete here in America are quite remote. Mm -hmm. You don't want to find yourself in a situation where you, there is an emergency and there is minutes before you see someone else, you know, at least you have a nice tracker and everything, you know, you, you got, you know, radio communications and everything. So I'm happy that we've gone the direction that Europe is, and hopefully we keep doing even more. So it's, it's just safety first. Can't argue with that. <laughs> so over the next few years, then kind of the early noughties, you found yourself in a variety of cars with a, a few pretty regular drivers. 
you know, Evo 6 is an Audi Q PS2, which is an interesting rally car. That's something you you see quite a lot. And you even find yourself back in Europe for an event in Wales in 2002. Is that correct? In the Subaru? Correct. Yeah, that was... Uh... It was my first event in Europe in many, many years. So I, I was competing for um, this driver that uh, a lot of disposable income. And it was like, okay, well, let's, let's keep progressing. Let's keep learning. So we were competing with a, with a Group N uh, uh, Impreza here in the American Championship. And we had the opportunity to rent a car and do the, the round of the British Championship. It was, you know, Rally of Wales, but it wasn't the WRC round. Back then it was round of the British Championship. And uh, and the that for me it was something that I will always look for, and uh, and I continue to look for because what I do with the job that we do as co-drivers. Let's keep in mind, gentlemen, the best co-drivers are the one with the most experience. Yeah, so you rarely see an excellent co-driver that is only. 20, 21, 23 year old, you know, the best co-drivers are 50, 55 and, and so on. Because unlike a driver where sheer talent is pretty much the only thing together with a bit of brains for a co-driver experience is the, the most important thing. So when there is an opportunity, like a couple of years ago, I did a French championship with, with an American driver and she, she is not the fastest driver in the world, but to me, it was a great opportunity to, to go and do a national championship in a place like France that gave me so much experience. Even if I had already done nearly 300 rallies, I wanted that my resume. And it's something that at the end of the day always pays off. So that was the beginning of my stint as international events. And then obviously, you know, met weekend and then ended up doing world championship events and all that and and that's that's so good for a co-driver you know getting out and gaining experience especially international experience is very very good and in the same year you also did an event that's really on my bucket list to go and spectate at some point uh pikes peak hill climb that must be sensational to be a part of or, or just even to watch i imagine yeah it, it's a it's one of the cathedrals of motorsport in the world. You know, you got Monte Carlo, you know, you got, you know, Donegal, you got, you know, Pikes Peak and places like that. These are, you know, places that not only you want to be there and witness it, but if you get the opportunity to compete on those, again, it's, it's a massive, uh, it's a massive uh, achievement. Yeah, we did that for a couple of years, two or three years. It was a round of the American Championship, actually. I personally enjoyed, I enjoyed going there, but it wasn't a true rally. It was a hill climb. So uh, we saw it as a different thing. Uh, great experience. I'm happy it's not in the championship anymore because it, it's a place where prototypes and now electric vehicles dominate, you know, but it was, uh, I haven't been there in many years. I, this year is the hundredth anniversary. I may just go to spectate. Yeah. And see it. And presumably this brings us fairly closely to the, the beginning of your relationship working with Ken. How did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? It's actually an interesting story. Uh, a very interesting story. I had a deal <laughs> for that year, 2005, with, uh, uh, with a driver. Good deal, you know, open class super and everything. It was sorted. We, we haven't done the first round yet. So... Ken is looking to get into the sport and, um, and he's contacting Vermont Sports Car, which is a team that now runs Subaru Motorsport USA. 
because his good mate Travis Pastrana is under contract with Subaru uh, with Vermont Sports Car, and they're gonna run him. So he's gonna okay. I'm gonna get into the sport. I'm gonna I'm gonna team up with Travis. We're gonna have fun together. Group N Impress uh, WRX is you know really good product. You know a good car to develop. Um, so they contact me and I say, oh, I'm sorry guys, I already have a deal, but thanks anyway for reaching out. Uh, anyway, long story short, my end, my driver ends up having some personal issues, you know, where he's, he's not around anymore. I mean, he still is around, but he's not around, if you know what I mean. Um, so I'm like, I call the team and say, oh, my deal doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's gone. Uh, and they like, oh, we, he's doing the first event with another co-driver. If he doesn't work out, we'll let you know. Okay, all right, keep me posted. Um, and uh, anyway, he does the event with this co-driver and uh, it doesn't work out. So they called me the following day and we're like, and they're like, uh, we can do the next event we do. If it works out, he'll carry on. Anyway, we do this event in Tennessee and uh, we had a really good event, you know, before the turbo gave up and we were second in the second overall on his only his third rally and i'm sitting with him at shakedown that's the first time we're together like, this guy knows what he's doing you know he knows about weight transfer he knows what what he's doing with his left foot breaking and everything which all comes from his motocross background you know so uh, that's how the start of our relationship was a, a working relationship that almost never happened for some strange reasons <laughs> Did you almost fight? Because it sounds like he was—he had the stuff from from the early beginnings. Did you ever find yourself having to perhaps take the co-driver's role of pegging him back slightly to 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 show his his, his inexperience didn't get away with him, as it were? Yeah, so that was entirely pretty much the first year together because um, motocross riders, you know, they almost feel invincible. You know, they're some of the bravest people. You know, when it comes to motorsport. And their sport is so tough, you know. Then they get in a rally car with a roll cage around them, and they feel even more <laughs> invincible. So there were. A, it was a good year. It was a good year, 2005, with a group and car, and uh, uh, there was a lot of you know, you know, holding the reins back, and you know, this driver that you know wanted to explore the limits and and beyond. So. Yeah, the first year was like that. But then again, Ken was very smart as far as progression. And again, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, he was seeking to improve his experience. And we even went overseas. We did the New Zealand Rally Championship the following year just to gain experience. And you go to a place like New Zealand as a new driver and you do the full championship there, you're going to get your ass kicked all year long by the local drivers that have 100% knowledge and understanding of what to do with those roads and with that camber, you're gonna come back to America. We came back to America, we started winning rallies just by getting beat up so much in that championship. It was the best thing we could have done. Fantastic. And New Zealand is a, I mean, must be a great place to compete. Absolutely, yeah. It's just, it's hard to explain guys. It, I can tell you it's a fantastic place. The roads are amazing. But then you will go to New Zealand and drive those roads and you were like, oh, this exceeds what Alex was trying to explain mm. to us. It's something that needs to be uh, tried. Yeah. And I, I recommend everybody to at least go do a rally or ex, uh, do a, an event, a, a spectator event, you know, in New Zealand, because it's just the next level. I mean, I, I know this is absolute nonsense. And of course, it can't ever be that. But whenever I watch 
on boards of uh, from New Zealand, Rally New Zealand, it, it always makes it look deceptively simple. You know, those roads, the camber, the car just transfers easy peasy from one corner to the other. And of course, it's nothing like that. It's all the work in the world. But it, those roads are just incredible, mind-blowing. Incredible. Yeah, that's the right way to describe it. And it does look simple and it does get easier, but you got to do those first four or five events. And I'll tell you, the local drivers are tough and they don't tell you much because they like to keep their secret. But because the way the roads are designed in a way that you don't see anywhere else in the world, you drive them different compared to anything else in the world as far as stages go. And you did your first uh, snowdrift rally with Ken then the year after that, I think. So you've done the snowdrift before this, but the snowdrift is one that looks, I've, I've seen plenty of footage from it and stuff. And what it has, to, what I find really interesting with it is that you you can't run proper snow tires. Am I right in saying that? You have a really interesting tire rule at snowdrift. So it's always a very compromised setup on that rally, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very difficult event because you're not allowed started tires you can only run uh, standard tires without without the start so when you have a situation where the, the stages are repeated and they go from snow they turn into ice and the, that, that doesn't work you know it's an event that we actually it's a great group of organizers the roads would be beautiful if it was a summer event but let's be honest it's an event we dislike because of that you know in those conditions and this level of grip nothing works diffs don't work dampers don't work and everything so um it's an event that whoever sucks the, the least ends up winning every every time you know because it's there is no speed there is just surviving i haven't been there in a couple of years i've done a, a, a snow event couple of snow events a few months ago one in canada and one in finland but there were studs allowed and uh, that's totally different. You know, it's like you, you almost have more grip there on gravel. So mm -hmm. Snowdrift is an interesting event. And uh, yeah, I, when I miss it every year, I don't mind missing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the, the, the working relationship with, with Ken, I mean, it, it, it must have delivered some incredible, unique driving experiences. And uh, the one that struck stuck out to me looking at the, the EWRC profile was the uh, your early drive in the, the Mark II Escort, which, I mean, A, at the New York rally, which which I can't get my head around as a concept anyway. It's um, <laughs> presumably upstate somewhere. Um, yes. but, but what was it like? Presumably this was the Escort long before it became the Hoonigan car. Uh, and the internet sensation it's now known as. That's right. Yeah, we uh, can o always like those cars, you know, and, and he's got a few, few Irish friends and one of them is um, a very good photographer from Boston, Irish. His name is Neil McDade. And Neil is always, was always uh, bugging, Ken, oh, you need to get a Mark II Escort, you need to get a Mark II Escort. And, and, Neil, and Neil is someone that, Ken has a lot of respect for Neil. You know, Neil sends him videos and things like that. That's, Neil is the reason why we went and did Donegal a couple of years ago. <laughs> Neil is the reason. So Neil, if you're listening, thanks for all that. Um, so he purchased this uh, Mark II Escort from, uh, from UK and uh, we are, uh, we're trying to do a couple events, do an event in Canada, doesn't work out. Then we go and do an event in Raleigh, New York. And, you know, I think breaks while we're fifth and first in class. And, and then we go and do the, the McRae stages one year, the year after Colin passed away. Uh, there was a, a local rental car, it wasn't our car. So, and now 
Look, I'll, I'll tell you this. As you get older as a driver and drivers and co-drivers, they start appreciating more older and more classic cars. So when I competed, when you brought Rally New York 15 years ago, back then I didn't care. Oh, why, have, why are we in this car? We could be in a nice four-wheel drive with all the crib in the world. Now I think it's the best thing in the world. We did that rally <laughs> a couple months ago with, with a classic Porsche, a title Porsche, and, and it was the best thing ever. So we, you develop an appreciation because you get older and now the classic cars are cars that were new cars when you were a kid, you know? So uh, it's, just, it's just interesting. And I love those cars. I love Mark II Escorts. I love 911s and, uh, and I hope to spend more time in it. And, uh, and this, Ken doesn't have the Mark II Escort anymore, was sold at the end of this relationship with Ford. And now he's in the hands of a collector, actually a collector locally in, uh, in Utah. Um, so the car stayed, stayed local. But when we did that rally with a classic Tuttle Porsche 911 at the end of the rally two months ago, Ken told me, I can't believe how fun this car is. I had a great time. You know, as you know, we spend, we spend our weekends on a million dollar world rally car. You know what I mean? But then someone says that about a car that has got a standard gearbox, two rear wheel drive only and a primitive, you know, everything, you know, I, I still enjoy it. That's true passion for me. Would this have been uh, the uh, the classic East African Safari Rally, presumably in a Tuttle Porsche? That's right. That must be an incredible event to tackle. Yeah, that's another event. Just like uh, New Zealand said a minute ago, I can tell you how incredible it is, but it's something that one way or the other, as a team, photographer, media, or competitor, needs to be experienced firsthand. Because you think you you know rally, and then you go to and do the safari, and you're like at the end of the rally, you're like. No, I didn't know rally. You know, there is still a lot more to come. It's just such an incredible experience. And after the event, I thought, before I, I write down some thoughts about the event, I'll take a couple of days and then write down some thoughts that may pay off if we go back to Kenya, you know, tips and things like that. I couldn't do it after two days. I had to do it after two weeks because there was so much to process, so many thoughts to process and so many points you know, to remember uh, that it, it, it took that long. That's incredible because, it, you know, you, you've done just on your first safari after, you know, competing for you know, nearly 30 years now. And then to have that experience, it must have been like nearly your first rally all over again, just a complete eye opener. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's one of those classics. You got the Monte Carlo, you got the Acropolis, you know, you got the RAC and then you got the safari. These are the classic, the grand slam of uh, of events. Whenever you can put one of those in your CV, oh, it's, it's an amazing experience. And it creates not only motorsport memories, it creates life memories, you know? So our sport is good because of that, you know? It, it, that's how our sport is incredible. It creates life memories, not just sport memories. Moving up to 2010, uh, you guys moved from the Group N car into an open fiesta and also had some drives in a focus wrc what was the transition like moving from you know competing in a group n car into something as advanced and as, as modern as the next one it was a big deal but the all four deal was a big deal you know they come on board you know 
big budget, you know, and big plans and everything and long-term commitment. That was a, a dream come true, you know, working four years with Subaru, you know, working hard to improve and, and obviously can discover by accident this marketing opportunity, which is called Gymkhana. And uh, it starts developing that and it becomes not just something that looks good on video, but it becomes a very strong marketing plan that every uh, sponsor or corporate name wants to be associated with. So the the deal with Ford comes and is a big deal. And, and we are doing the American Championship and we're doing seven rounds the first year of the World Championship and nine rounds the second year. And then the focus switches to something else. But to us, it was <clears throat> was a, a dream come true. Personally, for me, it was a dream come true because you're going and do the WRC with a pretty much a factory team in a world championship winning car like the Focus. And then you get to, you know, test and develop the, the new Fiesta, you know, 10 years ago, the 1600 Fiesta WRC. So it was a massive progression in our career. Learned a lot during those couple of years. It's really that step that moved us into the next level of growing as competitors. Yes, I can imagine it must. I mean, you tackled some some proper top tier events in that period as well. I mean, I imagine places like Finland, but for, for someone, you know, at least as, as steeped in, in rallying as yourself, that must have been a big deal. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, Finland was, I believe, the second year, the first year we did uh, events like, you know, the first time we did a uh, uh, rally of Wales around the World Championship. So uh, it was, uh, it's hard to put a, a value on this sort of experience. And for me personally, I feel very privileged that, uh, look, 10, 12 years ago, my experience and level of co-driving was nowhere near where I where it is now. So I, I really appreciate the fact that Ken and the sponsors and, and Ken's agent and management said, no, we are moving into the next level and Alex is coming with, because that allowed me to continue my dream of progressing and becoming a, a, a top level co-driver. They could have easily said, let's hire a professional European, but they didn't, you know, they kept me on board. And uh, even if there were, let's be honest, guys, there were some mistakes in those two years, you know what I mean? But uh, I guess they, they understand those guys, the true uh, meaning of teamwork. You know, there is a, there is a, you know, you win together, you lose together, you crash together, you win together, you know? So, uh, that's something that I'm very grateful uh, to them, to Ken, to the sponsors. Uh, I'll be forever grateful because it allowed me to establish myself as a true professional co-driver. And, and it's been my only job co-driving for the past 12 years, which is quite a stint. And that first year in the, with, with the Ford deal, you, know, you were back and forth to the American Championship and doing rounds of the World Rally Championship. How was that a struggle or hard to adapt to going over and back doing these different events and different cars? How did you how did you stay focused and stay stay on top of your game during all that? Uh, the fact that we were within the same um, group of people was a big help. The fact that we had to travel to Europe was a bit a bit of a struggle. I remember speaking a few years ago with a, a, a you know an international competitor like Hayden Patton that tried his path in the world championship and he said to me Alex if you had to do it you have to move to Europe you can't just commute from New Zealand or from the US or from Australia wherever you're from 
Um, and you have examples like him and Chris Atkinson that have moved from their own countries and lived in, in Europe to you know, follow a program like that. So for us, look, we weren't doing the entire championship, but still seven or eight or nine rounds of the WRC, it's a lot of events. So the struggle was the logistical side of having to travel. Um, but the fact that we were, I was working with the same driver and the same management and uh, uh, we were all in the same plan, that made it easier. It's difficult when you do that and you're working with two, three, four different drivers, which I've done in the last few years. And, and every time you have to adapt to that, return to adapt to that different driver and, and the way he works and she works and the way they do things. In that case, is even more difficult. Uh, but uh, it was definitely a challenge. But if he wasn't challenging, we wouldn't learn as much as we did. Do you have any uh, standout moments from, from those early years in when you were contesting the WRC, you know, 2011, 2012, that kind of time? Yeah, there, there is few few standout moments and uh, it took us few events, more events that we expected before we score our first points, which ended up being in Spain. Uh, we were on route in Germany and as well in, Tur as in Turkey earlier in the year, that didn't happen. So then we went to, to France on a wet rally in Alsace, and it was very, very difficult, you know, to drive those conditions when, you know, with the, with those WRC tires and a, and a car that basically was our second tarmac event. Then we eventually went to Spain and we were able to seal our first WRC points. And you'll never forget that, you know, if your first top 10 finish in WRC, even if he's at just the top, even if it was a ninth place, you know, that there wasn't anything special, but you'll, you won't forget that. Uh, and then uh, we had a good stint in Mexico. Mexico, okay, it's, it's considered pretty much our home WRC events because it's the closest event to us. Um, and we progressed every year that we've gone there, even after those years you mentioned, up to a, a seventh place, you know, um, I think in 2013 or 2014. Uh, and the same thing with, with going to New Zealand. And finishing in the top 10 and battling against people like, you know, Manfred Stoll or, uh, or Henning Solberg. So yes, they're not the top guys. But let's not forget, guys, where this driver, where we came from. You know, we came from U.S., which um, we have paid the price a little bit from uh, the fact that the, the years he spent in the national championship here in the U.S., one pass recce, organizer provided notes, there was no opportunity to develop those pace notes. So we go to the WRC with those, you know, those events and we are just thrown into the fire. And some people sometimes are critical of Ken. Let me tell you that from my opinion of being next to him and from as, an, as a rally enthusiast, he's done a bloody good job because he comes from, uh, remember the movie um, Cool Runnings, you know, where the Jamaican team goes in, that's what America was with rallying. You know what I mean? It's not just, <laughs> we're the Jamaica, we were the Jamaican team of rallying, you know? So, and in my opinion, we did quite well, all things considered. There's, there's a Ken Block Cool Runnings Photoshop forming in my head already. <laughs> <laughs> those first WRC tarmac events must have been quite the baptism of fire out of all of those, surely, you know, as you know, both you and Ken and previous to your time with Ken competing in the States, it's all loose surface or snow, you know, to go a full fat asphalt WRC round. 
writing your own notes, you're in a WRC car. That must have surely been one of the most challenging ones to do, first of all, I'd imagine. Yes, they were challenging. And uh, uh, and Tarmac is just, with those type of cars, with war rally cars, Tarmac is just next level. Um, the speed you're traveling and the level, uh, and then you're competing against specialists, you know, the, the, the French drivers, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, drivers, the Italian drivers and things like that. But again, going back to the, the first question, I'm proud of the work Ken has done, like in a situation like Tarmac events. I remember going to France on the second year and battling against this young French driver. He's in a mini. His name is, uh, oh boy, I can't remember. But anyway, he's an FFSA-supported driver. He's meant to be the next Sebastian Loeb. And, and we're battling, and, you know, battling against Armindo Araujo with the mini WRC as well, former you know, production world championship, um, world champion driver. And we're going there, and we, we're not only battling against them, we're beating them. You know? so, and again, you have a, the American driver that comes from America, Little notes experience, little experience on, on tarmac. We don't have tarmac round. We don't have tarmac rallying in America. So all his experience was done this first WRC events. I'm proud of the work is done. And uh, but uh, to answer your question, tarmac is is one of my favorite is my favorite um, surface because I grew up in tarmac in, in the stages in Sicily. So all I did was tarmac when I rallied in Italy. The first gravel stage was here in America. So tarmac has a special place in my heart and uh, it's my favorite surface. And I enjoy when we do tarmac events. And just what I want to hear as an Irish person as well, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> um, in the years since, you, you seem to have like divided the career, your career between uh, helping up and coming aspiring rally drivers and, of course, your commitments with Ken driving ever faster and more modern WSC cars. Was that a conscious decision to, of, to, to, to help guide the careers of aspiring drivers? It was a bit of a decision that I needed to do. Um, in the mid of the last de- decade, Ford switches their plan to rallycross, as we all know. And, and Ken was very fair in advising me early enough, gave me the time to be proactive and look for other work. But he told me, Alex, look, I'll be gone for a couple of years. You know, I'll be happy to have you back in the car when I'm back, but I have to be in rallycross tracks for the next couple of years. That's what my contract with Ford says. So at that point, I need to, how do you say, roll your sleeve up and, and, and get to work and find, if that's what you want to do, find other opportunities. And I did. It's difficult though, guys. Let me tell you, it's very difficult. You're sitting with the same driver for 10 consecutive years. You know what that person is even thinking before the person opens their mouth, you know what I mean? The level of, uh, of, of sync is so good. But anyway, um, I believe it's 2014 and I, I started working with other drivers in both, you know, WRC and then junior WRC, British Championship with Gus and all that. Uh, and that was, again, we're talking about steps of career. I thought I knew everything. You don't know anything until you stop start working with a different variety of drivers. Working with the same driver, that's the easy part. As soon as you stop, start stepping with three, four different drivers in five, six different events, ooh, that's when you actually have to push your, uh, your limits because you're working with different characters, different system of pace notes, most likely different events and countries. So there was a next stepping stone in my career that helped me progress and become better. 
And I mean, yeah, that was going to be my, my next question, basically. I mean, it must be you know, you, your, your travel schedule is pretty hectic and then you're, you're in with different guys. And it's not only different drivers, but you're competing in different classes, different championships, all sorts of different vehicles, which I think is probably what makes your, your career so interesting is that you're, you're ticking all the boxes all over the world in different sorts of cars. It must be, how do you reset, you know, going from one driver to the next or one championship to the next? It must be as particularly coming out of that period with Ken, you know, you're in that zone to then go, you know, a totally different area. How, how do you kind of clear the head and say, I'm not with Ken now, I'm with this guy? At first it was difficult, uh, but then uh, I, I try to apply certain procedures before getting on a plane and start going to do this event with this driver or that driver. And those procedures were, were simple, you know, a little bit more homework, you know, a little bit more of uh, watching stages and, 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 and a complete 100% understanding of the system of pace notes that I was working, I was going to go and work with next week or whenever the rally was. And like you said, there were events that were consecutive. I think at some point it was five, six weeks, you know, New Zealand, France, America, back to New Zealand, back to France, you know, all the time with a different driver. At first it was difficult. As soon as I worked with the, the right procedures to make my life easier, with that sort of change and the sort of, the sort of inconsistency among drivers and cars and pace note systems, it made my life much easier. Up until a couple of years ago, before Ken came back full time and I was still working with a variety of drivers, that became quite natural, actually. And, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I knew that I was learning a lot and I was improving a lot as a co-driver. Now Ken has come back and my deal with Ken is that when I, when I started a championship with him is I need to consistently stay with him. But during the off season, I can work with, I can do events with other drivers. That's why you see me doing the uh, Rallying Canada and Rallying Finland with Kyle Tilly because it was during uh, the off season. But then I started working with Ken and I'll be consistently with him all the way until October. And that's better because let me tell you that between choosing a variety of drivers and one driver, always as a co-driver, you want to stick to the one driver because you have consistency there. And that's what makes your job easier, a little easier. Presumably, as much as, as, as it's a challenge uh, working with so many different drivers, it, it means that you have built up an incredible amount of experience in over, over that time and the need to sort of adapt to all the various drivers, different foibles and things like that. Yes, for sure. That's invaluable. That's invaluable. Uh, I learned much more in the last five, six years of working with a variety of drivers than I did in the previous 10 years working just we can you get accustomed to what the driver wants you get accustomed to what the system or system or notes are it becomes uh, um, just it flows so easily but when you have to be on your step on your you know be on your toes and and be mindful of oh this is different from the rally I did last week with the other driver with the other system or notes and in that other slower car or faster car that pushes your uh, um, your levels of you know of uh, yeah, it just, it just makes you better. You can't, you can't put a price on that. And it's a suggestion I give to any younger up-and-coming co-driver. Just try, work with different drivers. It's incredible how quick, quicker the progression will be compared to sticking to one driver. I did that for 10 years because it was work, you know, and, 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 and it worked perfectly well. But when the need was there to go and look for other opportunities, at first I was 
worried, but at the end, I was like happy I did it. In that kind of uh, you know time between you know, you're working with different drivers when Ken was doing other things, your your there's an interesting vehicle pops up there, a Subaru Crosstrek, not quite the the traditional uh, image of a rally car, although admittedly the American Championship always throws up a lot of non traditional rally cars. Um, the Lexus IS. 350 is another one that, that springs to mind. Uh, sounds great, though. But um, the Crosstrek, that, that must be an interesting vehicle, presumably pretty modified as well, because it was an open class car. The idea was really good. And it was uh, the idea came from a, a former Canadian rally champion, uh, Pat Richard, which is a very bright individual as well. And uh, he had a couple of customers uh, that were interested in getting into the sport. And they came up with this idea under the skin, the car was a proper open class Subaru WRX. You know, it's just that the body, let's put it this way, the chassis was a cross track chassis. I spent a full season doing the Canadian Championship and a couple of rounds of the American Championship and a lot of testing in that car. And I can tell you, it was a brilliant chassis. I really liked that. Very honest chassis. Um, uh, it didn't suffer from any understeers, oversteer. It didn't have any particular flaws. It was a very neutral chassis. And I'll tell you this, to me, it's a better chassis than um, the hatchback uh, WRX, which is a similar year. It, it, re it reacted better. It worked better. But I think there was a lot of clever engineering done the, by the particular uh, guy, Pat Richard, which on uh, Rocket Rally in Canada, when he developed those cars. So really enjoyed that car. Very powerful, as powerful as any open-class Subaru with a very good and honest chassis. And I, I can imagine, if nothing else, it must have been quite the contrast, or perhaps not so much of a contrast, considering how good it was, with the following year when you first got your hands on a, a, a new era WRC car, the Fiesta for Rally Spain. I can imagine that was quite a quite a good weekend, or at least quite a a momentous one. Yes, yes. Uh, the 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 twenty seventeen and up World Rally cars are uh, are arguably, I mean, they're, they're probably the 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 best um, cars that the, our sport has seen so far. Uh, I don't want to say it was a bit of a shock because we did spend some time testing that car and everything. I mean, the testing was a bit of a shock. Um, they're just amazing cars and it was a big jump compared to that um, I knew that time was coming Ken, Ken has always liked those sort of vehicles and the, the, the top level of the world rally cars and that are running in the world championship so I knew we were going to try one at some point um, it was an amazing experience unfortunately it didn't end up as well as we wanted to because you know we we weren't quite used to the WRC tire, which is a, such a such a unique tire that unless you're driving in WRC and using them, uh, you just gain you don't gain the experience. You you lack the experience. So um, I'm glad we're back in a similar car this year because it was fair for us. You know, it it, it was always gonna it was meant to to happen to to try that sort of car again. Although it's not a Ford, it's, it's a Hyundai i20. You know, but happy to be in that car this year for sure. And in 2018, uh, you were in another Ford machine, the, the Escort. Cosworth made its return in its first 
it's first guys um, <laughs> before it came to be the way now presumably you must be you know a pretty big group a or a fan given the year of rallying you know you came to be watching growing up in italy so uh that must have been quite a cool phone call to hear about when that came on scene i imagine absolutely that was uh, there was i i can't i can't believe how happy i was when that program that idea came up and about you know and like you just said i was there when the escort became the the weapon to beat in world championship and national championships because the old group a cars you know the silica and and the and, and the lancia lancia delta were getting obsolete and here comes ford with this amazing product which is a, a step ahead of everything by by miles so that car had a and obviously, as you know, we know the wild look the, of the car that was preceded by the Sierra, but they're so late 80s and early 90s, mid 90s, which is when we were kids pretty much, you know. So that car is a special place in, in my heart. And the, the first version, you know, was, uh, was a, a Group A version that uh, unfortunately was carrying on some older parts. And, and let's be honest, we were driving the wheels off the thing and... Uh, <laughs> And it was breaking a lot. Uh, we we had a podium in Oregon at uh, the second round of the American Championship, and we were working on the car after every stage. You know, try to drag it to service so the boys could fix it. All sort of problems, electrics, drive shafts, you know, gearboxes. And uh, uh, managed to finish on the podium on the, that event. And then then what happened? I think uh, Ken had some commitments. So yeah, we weren't back until New England for a rally, which. Uh, Unfortunately, is when we lost the car. Again, a mechanical issue, you know, the gearbox seizes in the middle of the corner, false neutral, you know, um, senses on the inside of the corner and then on the roof and, the, and it catches on fire. And that's one of the hardest time of my career. Losing a rally car completely, especially a rally car that has got an historic uh, presence and body like that one. It was just heartbreaking. It took weeks to recover. We was like, you know, like when you lose your dog, <laughs> just, we were <laughs> devastated. But the good news was that there was a plan for a second one coming and it was bigger and better. So, Did you ever find that there's a difference in how that escort called the, the escort Cosworths uh, are viewed depending on whether you're in Europe or America? Because, you know, in America, it's not a car that, that presumably many Americans have any, you know, concept of because it was never sold over there, you know, there was no need to. And presumably whenever you say, whenever it's in Europe, it's it's instantly recognizable as a cult hero. Yeah, that's very true. There was uh, the impressions when we had a career in America racing was uh, mixed because you had a lot of curiosity from people that didn't realize what the car was. And they, they saw this thing that was smaller than normal American cars. So they, they were getting a feeling that it was something from overseas. And then you had the, the true enthusiasts that they couldn't believe their eyes. Seriously, we I remember being at ceremonial starts and people walking and stopping on their trucks like, what is this thing doing here? And there have been Escort Cosworths uh, competing here in the last 20 years, random ones, one, one two here and there. Uh, but that one and, uh, had a special livery that was quite a attractive and obviously carried Ken's name on the doors, you know, so uh, people knew who the driver was and that there was a there was quite a reaction either way yeah so it was good to see that and of course the came the car came back in a completely different sort of scenario then you know wild very wild and maybe kind of controversial even at the time to the 
to some of the fans almost in some ways but um you mean what a what a return to to rallying that was yeah that obviously my driver doesn't never do things halfway you know so yeah. he had to finish what he started <laughs> so he came back with a bigger and better cozy and it was controversial but there was uh, i think the idea was good um at least maybe because i know how good the car was from being inside that car um it, it was it was a wild idea but the car worked well because he had modern parts. So we could focus on driving it and testing it and driving it without having to be gentle with it. I believe he care he has a it still has a car. I don't think he'll sell it. It's one of the cars that he's gonna keep uh from the Ford collection. Um, but he can, I think he's got an R5 gearbox. Uh and then uh, he's got modern dampers. You know, the engine is the same, but then he's got a completely modern. Uh, wiring loom. So we were never chasing the electrical gremlins or ECU gremlins that we had with the I remember the first one had some diff controls that were like straight from like you know the Carlos Science era, you know, driving those cars. It's just amazing. And they were always, you know, uh giving me an error and I had to reset them and everything. This one was just a normal, you know, a modern car with an old with an old skin on the outside. Brilliant car on tarmac. I know we went to Donegal, we got our ass kicked, but Donegal, for a couple of reasons, Donegal is a, a very different event because it's such a bumpy event, but the test and uh, the development that we did on the dumpers and, and the understanding of the tires that we did at Donegal paid off for the following events because we went to Italy and won the event there. Then we went to um, to Switzerland and had a good showing there as well. Then we're back to Italy with the same car and won again. So again, there was the same case of what happened 15 years almost earlier, going to New Zealand, getting your ass kicked and learning from it. Going to Donegal, getting your ass kicked, learning from it, developing the, the car and going and doing well the following year, year and a half. So that paid off well. I mean, I've got to thank you for, for your part in bringing it back, to be honest, because it's 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 so great to see an Escort Cosworth like that being driven properly, like the Clappers, as if it's 1996 or whatever. You know, it's 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 a proper throwback and, and one that the world's a lot better for. And, and sorry, you mentioned before that it created some controversy, and I understand that. There is some purists that don't like that car. And there is a small part of me that says that maybe those cars shouldn't be molested, should be left alone. But at the end of the day, the fans loved it. The, the sponsors loved it. The, the old Cozy World, who was such a great idea, we generated so many views and, and so many happy fans. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Ken loves to drive that car. There is a reason why that car is still in the shed and he hasn't sold it. Because, you know, maybe one day, five, seven, ten years from now, we'll pull it out of the shed, dust it, and go do some events somewhere around the world. And it's a really enjoyable car to drive. I mean, driving it at Rally Legend particularly must have been quite the experience. Yes, yes. It, it was the experience and it was a bit of a strange experience because you know you you go to legend to to put on a show and then you are in a class with a bunch of drivers that the first thing that they've been dreaming about is to beat cam block you know so <laughs> we're finding ourselves a rally legend not putting on a show we're finishing 10 kilometer stages we're a second apart and kenny's like 
I don't want to be beaten by these guys. And those guys are looking at me, I'm going to get you. So <laughs> we had to like put the show aside and drive that car as fast as we could and stay clean and neat. And, and some of the fans were like, why aren't you doing donuts at the roundabouts and everything? Because we don't get, we want to, we don't want to get beaten by the local drivers who are bloody fast with their cars in their own stages. And we don't want to finish seconds. We want to win this thing. So there was a bit of a discussion there. And, but we know the story and that, I'll tell you, shit, that car was driven 100% for both those events, every single stage. And uh, and there were only a couple of stages that allowed us to win, that put a, a bit of a gap. But when you look how much we won those events for, it was a handful of seconds, really. <laughs> I was at the 2019 event, and I must say it was, ah. it was great to watch. And it's, it's one of my favorite trips to do. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, for any rally fan, it's it's really a... I, I agree with you, list, because... Yeah. The, the rules are so open. I mean, we were allowed to run side open exhausts in that event. Nowhere else in the world. And that's that brings back, you remember the old Sierras and with this exhaust under the yeah. door. I remember being, you know, 20 years old and going to watch rallies and Franco Cunico is going by with the Sierra and the flames are coming by. So it's great that there is still events in the world that allow something like that. But our sport is changing. And we don't want it to become too lame, you know. Electric is gonna come. Hybrid is already here. Uh, you know, you know, carbs and you know, open exhausts are still pretty cool. We don't want to forget those. The the symphony of sounds, in particular, on Rally Legend, really is. I think that you know, sitting in the mountains with the sun's going down and there's you know a, a Stratos going past, and then you guys go past or whatever. It's just. It's incredible about it. I, I just dug out this photo of where, where you nearly took out our GoPro camera um, on the event as well. But it's, um, yeah, it's a great event. And it's, it's good to see. It gives people a chance to see cars. And, you know, as you said, you know, there was controversy about that escort. But the fact remains that it enabled that car to be out and be seen and be driven around the world rather than not be competing at all, which ultimately is better than leaving it as it was, I think, which is what's important. I agree. I, I almost worry that an event like I mean, I've never been. I need to get I need to get my ass in gear and get to Rally Legend. Uh, but I worry that uh, that that there's almost like a time limit on how long it can continue going in its current form. E even somewhere as petrol obsessed and wonderfully so as Italy, you know the the ever encroaching world of, of professionalism and 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 an increased safety and and already Rally Legend looks to be a complete anomaly compared to similar events you get in the UK. You know, it, it's wild by the looks of things. <laughs> it's very true. I worry about that myself. And, and when we think sometimes how bonkers our sport is, you're like, our sport still exists nowadays. It's just a bunch of lunatics flying on a forest road, you know, like that shouldn't be legal. You know, that's what I tell people, it shouldn't be legal. But it'd be interesting to see how 10 years from now our sport looks like. I hope we're wrong and I hope things are still, you know, but I'm a little worried, yeah. And moving forward again, you, you know, the, the escort was, was retired for a while and you guys then were, were back in, oddly enough, uh, Skoda Fabia R5. Yes, obviously that deal with, uh, with Ford is gone. You know, mm -hmm. it's lasted nearly, I think, 10 years, which in motorsport term, 10 years is like 100 years. That was a very long stand. And we're very grateful to Ford, uh, to Ford to, for the support over the years. Um, so then Ken uh, has a brand new deal, deal with Audi, which many don't know, but the deal with Audi is uh, strictly 
EVs, electric vehicles, and Gymkhana. So Ken all, this, all of a sudden finds himself with the freedom of rallying whatever he wants. And uh, the start of last year is uh, is the perfect example. We started and we tried a car like the Fabia R5, which is actually, it's an R5 plus. I don't know if Barry McKenna still has that class. He, he, he has a two liter motor. So in my opinion, that's the best combination for a rally car. and should be the top class in WRC right now. R5 cars, which are sort of like um, have a cost cap. You know, they don't cost as much as a, a modern war rally car, let alone a war rally car with a hybrid system, uh, but put a bigger motor in it and maybe just bump up the aero a little bit. I remember last year we were running uh, the Fabia WRC wing in the back to create a little bit of downforce, but that's not an expensive car. You know what I mean? That reminds me a little bit of what the Group A's were when we got out of the Group E era. And there were a lot of Group A's and the fields had so many cars. Group A, early Group A was very, very popular. Anyway, um, we get into the car and we do a beautiful car. That chassis in the Fabia is the reason why that, the chassis and the reliability and how strong that car is, is the reason why that car has been successful for years. Very strong car, the chassis is fantastic. And uh, we do one event, but then uh, a deal with the, with Subaru comes along, so we only we only did one event with uh, with a Fabia. Really enjoyed it. Nearly won the rally, but uh, wasn't meant to be. But uh, missed the car. And so, looking ahead to the near future, how how do you how do you see your continued career progressing? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I like to if I stay fit and I stay, you know, healthy. I like. To, I'd like to do another 10 years, uh, but it's always difficult in our sport, you know, because you just never know. It's not just in your hands. It depends what happens with the, with the world, with the economy. Right now, it's a good time, especially here in North America. There is a lot of cash flowing around. There is sponsors, you know, there is, you know, uh, things are good, but not just here. I mean, we just said the last round of, uh, of the Australian championship, you know, it's quite, quite healthy there. Rallying in general seems healthy uh, around the world. So I'd like to do another 10 years uh, and uh, I'll be continuing working with Ken as, as much as, uh, as we can. The positive thing is that Ken has got a young daughter, 15 years old, Leah, that just started rallying. So that's good for all of us involved with owning and racing because it means that, you know, the, you know Leah is probably going to rally for many few years and, and Ken is going to follow along. It's become a bit of a family affair where mom, dad and daughter are rallying the American championship. So it's good for us. Uh, and then after that, there is another son, you know, that uh, is very much into motorsports. So I feel that the blocks will be involved in rallying one way or the other for a long time. They understand the rally is a sport that is so good for up and coming people. You know, like is a sport that teaches you true grit, that, that creates real men and women, teaches you the hard, you know, times, you know, and the, how to deal with the with adversities and things like that. No other motorsport in the world is as tough as rallying. So if I had a kid, if I had the money. I will put their kid into rallying for sure because they're gonna become, you know, real men and women. You know what I mean? So that's where we are at this point. I like to still work with other drivers and uh, and obviously Rihanna and I. We have the rally school that has been extremely busy. So until the sport is this healthy, I'll be around. Uh, every year I will. Every year I say to myself, oh, maybe it's the time. It's been nearly thirty years, guys. Maybe it's time to hang the helmet. 
I say that to myself. I don't, I don't tell anyone. Then a couple of weeks go by. I'm like, okay, when is the next rally? Until that still <laughs> happens, that'll be the fuel, you know, the fire that, that, you know, takes me every year to renew the license, you know, and, and get going again. The day I feel like, you know what, I have it enough. Uh, then it'll be time to, to hang the helmet. But looking forward for the rest of this year, presumably it's going to be finished doing the American Championship in the I-20. Is that the continued plan for now? Yes, we're committed. We're committed. I have a, uh, we're committed to do the finish the championship and finish it well. Um, I have a feeling that the rules in the American Championship may change in the next 12 to 18 months. So you may not be able to see those cars, like you know the one we're running, the one that Barry McKenna or the Subarus, are running it's just a feeling you know we, we i'm sure we'll hear from the sanctioning body in the next few months mm-hmm. in preparation for the future but if that's the case it means the american championship may eventually switch to what the other national championships around the world are which is r5 mm-hmm. machinery so it's a great opportunity this year to enjoy both as competitors and as fans uh enthusiasts and everything this type of cars here uh, and uh, in, they may not last so definitely committed for the future for for the year. We'll see what happens. We'll put our best effort, try to win this championship. And uh, um, it's a long season. It's tough here in America. Uh, there is, I think, seven more rounds left. You know, which usually a national championship is made of six or seven rounds. We already done two. So um, yeah. And that that I twenty, although you know, on this on the skin of it, it's an I twenty WRC, but it's not quite the same as what it was. Can you run us through maybe some of the changes that have been made to that car to enable it to compete? Well, this this is a fairly new deal for us. And the car was so late around the wood. I actually, and the team is run by a, uh, the car is run by a French team, which is 2C competition, which ran uh, Lube and Solberg last year. So we actually haven't had the, I haven't had the time to investigate much about it. I know we're running a smaller motor compared to the Subarus and to, um, to Barry compared mm-hmm. to make up for the fact that we're using a paddle shifter. So they're running two liters and we're running 1600 uh, in our motor. And um, as far as aeros, there has always been a bit of a gray area because you know there was some issues last year that were brought up by some competitors uh, before we brought this car. But I, I see that now it's almost like almost, you know, drive what you bring as far as the aerodynamics go so we have uh, obviously finished the first rally and the car was com- com- compliant to, you know and the, the top four cars were compliant to uh, post event scrutineering so there is no issues there i think it's going to be a nice battle this year and uh, between the subarus barry and us and uh, uh yeah made the best win I'm, I'm i i'm really enjoying being in the car it's only been one event and a small test it's a fantastic car and the team is doing an amazing job running it we have a very good engineer this year working with us there is very smart and he's giving us uh, options as far as setup uh and uh, as far as what to do with tires and dampers uh we have a good comprehensive test plan for next week so we're putting all the effort, you know, our sponsors are putting the budget in order to do the job right. And Ken and I are committed to do the best that we can this year. Wonderful stuff. I'm, I'm conscious of taking up too much of your valuable time, but, um, but by way of, of, of sign off questions, if, you know, I'm sure we all agree that the Group A era was, was rallying at its best. Um, and, if you, and if you could have, uh, could have driven, could have co-driven for any 
uh, Group A or two litre WRC driver back in the day, who would it have been? It's oh, a great question. Would it be a Kuniko or? <laughs> I think it would be Miki, Miki Biasion, because I, what I always liked about Miki, there was an incredible driver, but also yes, such a such a nice attitude and character. You know, you you won't see a picture of Mickey around, you know, with, with him not smiling. You know, I, I read a book of, about him, you know, a few years back, and it's such a great story. Uh, is it is it the true story of a, a driver that didn't really come from money, but uh, made it to the top of the sport, two times world champion. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a really good story. And uh, I really like Mickey. I, I had the opportunity to meet him at Rally Legend for those couple of years. And he's as good as character as he looks on, on the, as a character on the outside. So, um, so yeah, probably that would be, that will be him, uh, but there is so many good drivers in our sport, and so there is so many uh, underrated drivers that could have deserved a better opportunity. That the list will be so long. Wonderful stuff. Well, I think, as I said, as Jamie said, we, we won't take up too much more of your valuable time, Alex. So t- thanks very much for uh, for coming on and chatting to us. It's been it's been really fun. You've been very uh, insightful, and you've shared some great stories with us. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us, uh, having me, guys. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to follow your show in the future. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get the opportunity to chat again in the future, maybe at the end of the year. Let's hope so. Thanks. For, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Take care. That concludes episode six of Rally DNA. Stay tuned for another episode coming soon, featuring another member of the Hoonigan Racing team. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thank you.